welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode. First one we're recording in the new year. Yeah. Um, it's 2022. It's been a while, so for a bit um, sluggish, maybe, in the script here. Don't blame us. It's been like three weeks since we recorded, but I'm really excited to talk about this episode, which is Coinbase. Um, Ian, you're joining us today. You're more, I think, into the crypto economy without putting words in your mouth know about more of that stuff than us. So you know about Coinbase. Can you kind of give an overview of what they're like, not overview, but like how how do you think of Coinbase when looking at them? Yeah, I would say it's, it, <laughs> I would hesitate to say I'm more in the, I'm maybe more in the crypto economy than you guys, but I'm, I'm still very limited. But that being said, I think Coinbase, um, from the way I look at it, is kind of the gold standard bank for lack of a better term. Um, it's not a bank, but it's kind of, it's the, it's the financial institution of uh, cryptocurrency um, as it stands today. Right. And it seems like it's the one thing that if you think about uh, cryptocurrencies, anything about a company associated with it, Coinbase is likely the first company that comes to mind. And yep. I'm going to let Ryan introduce the business, but first I have to talk about our new sponsor that we have this year. This is the first time we're talking about them. We're very excited to have them join the show and it is common stock. So today's episode is brought to you by Common Stock. It is a social network for smart money investors, which um, we, forgot our, the, we forgot to sound the alarm for the new new sponsor. Alarm. All right, sound the alarm. We want to put a yeah. There you go. Thank you, Ryan. It is a smart. It's for smart money investors. Which if you're you're not a smart money investor, I mean, what are you doing? But it's more important than ever to find trustworthy information from people who actually know what they're talking about. Common Stock built a platform to show the portfolios, real-time trades, and analysis of the smartest retail investors. It lets people link their existing brokers to verify their portfolios and performance, helping you distinguish signal from noise. So if you're a retail investor, this can be a great place for you to post things. And it can also be a great place to read analysis with connected accounts to show people that actually have skin in the game. Um, and it has a community of experienced traders that amplify insights, trades, you know, if you're more longer term, shorter term, whatever, you can find your community on there and you can see who the best performers are and it can kind of show their track record over time. Someone has a great track record, they do a write-up. It's kind of like Value Investors Club or something like that. It's a fantastic service and it gives you an easy connection to your existing brokerage account without having to move your money. So they can make it more of a social aspect all those great things. Um, so if you want to sign up for common stock, you want to visit commonstock.com today, commonstock.com. If you can't find them, make sure. Yeah. That There's also the app. There's also the app. Uh, you can find them on Twitter. You can find them, you know, reach out to us and we connect them with you. It's a great service. Hope you'll try it out. All right, Ryan, do you want to introduce Coinbase? Yeah. And I'm going to preface this by saying we are not, Brett and I specifically are not as up to date with the crypto nomenclature. Um, and so we may, uh, so we might not know all the terms and we're not as just involved in the, I guess, the crypto economy generally. Uh, but we're going to try to look at Coinbase from a business standpoint and from kind of 
our investing lens. Um, and so Coinbase describes themselves as a leading provider of end-to-end financial infrastructure and technology for the crypto economy. Basically, from what I understand, Coinbase is a platform where anyone can buy or sell a number of different cryptocurrencies or crypto-related products. It's basically the leading crypto exchange as Ian touched on earlier. Um, And they break up their revenue into two sources. So they have transaction revenue and subscription and services revenue. Transaction revenue makes up about 90% of their revenue and it's comprised of three basic products. So they have one, sending and receiving crypto, two, investing in crypto, and then three, spending it. Um, Transaction revenues are also split up between retail users and institutions. So institutions tend to get much lower commission fees as they are typically transacting bigger dollar volumes. So despite institutions accounting for 55% of the assets on the platform in the latest quarter, they only accounted for 6% of the total revenue. So if you're if you're a retail user, you might be, that might sound a little concerning, but I think the commissions come out to like one and a half percent on average for retail users. Um, I think that's what I saw from the Hayden Capital report on there, uh, but it can range widely. Do you guys know how the transaction fees um, are, I guess, priced? I think it's just a percentage of, uh, you know, percentage of the amount. It's not a dollar figure. I think there might be a minimum. Ian, have you used Coinbase? You know? I have used it, but it's been a while. I was just checking it right now, but it's it's basically um, a percentage base, but it, it drops in uh, percentage based on how much you're uh, transacting. Right. If it's like a thousand bucks, it might be, it might be less. Yeah. All right. Okay. And then the subscription and services segment is a little more diverse. So these products include, um, and get ready for some maybe unfamiliar terminology. Uh, the products include distribute, pay, store, save, staking, borrow and lending and build. Um, and I spent some time researching all these and I could explain most of them. I believe now I think I'm in a position to do that, but it's really probably not worthwhile. Uh, judging as they are such a small portion of the business currently. Um, And so I would say the majority of the subscription side comes from the services that they add. Uh, So including things like Coinbase Pro, Coinbase Prime, and well, they just launched Coinbase Prime and Coinbase Cloud, which we'll talk about. But then staking is also a very big portion of it. Um, But once again, small portion of the overall business. Uh, and we'll touch on some of the Coinbase Prime, Coinbase Cloud stuff and future growth opportunities. History of the business, though, Brian Armstrong is the CEO today. He originally came up with the idea for Coinbase while he was working at Airbnb. So Airbnb launched in 2008, and he was hired there as one of their early software engineers. And while he was there, he came across the Bitcoin white paper in Hacker News. And apparently the paper struck a chord for him, um, and he kind of grew fascinated with the idea. And so... In 2010, he started working nights and weekends on what was basically a Bitcoin wallet. And he wanted to go through the Y Combinator program. I think he applied there and they basically said, you got to go get a co-founder. He searched for one. The first one didn't really work out. Um, And then he ended up finding a second one on a second try named Fred Ursham, who ended up being that Y Combinator co-founder for him. Um, And there wasn't really that much traction at the start because it was just designed for storing Bitcoin. But after talking to customers, they they added the ability to buy or sell. I know it sounds like buying and selling would have been the obvious thing to add at the start. And he talked about that, but he's like, 
we didn't think about it until the customers told us. And he said, as soon as they added that feature, they started to grow really, really quickly. Um, and they also, the company was known as BitBank at the time, but a Y Combinator lawyer said, uh, apparently told them, you're not allowed to have bank in your name unless you're technically like an actual bank. Do you guys think that was a good name change? I, I think it was. What about you? I don't know. You know, if if they, if they were allowed to have bank in their name without being a bank, I kind of you know, BitBank's probably BitBank. Uh, that's not bad. Coinbase though, like it's your coin base. Like that. That's just so good. He said I think he it's wasn't a fantastic sold on name. the idea. He said he wasn't even sold on the name for like the first two years. Uh, and then he's kind of like, well, it's, you know, it's I think their bad. name is one of the big parts of their like success because people just understand it so easily. Yeah. I Although crypto.com is going way be the same though. Yeah. But what's no one knows bit is like, what is Bitbank Like it could not be Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Like bit is very vague. It doesn't yeah, have to be Bitcoin, but like crypto.com, that's just going flat out. Like, boom, like, all right, you know what this is. Uh, sorry, right. Ian, what do you think of the name? Yeah, I think the name, um, like BitBank is a little more interesting and uh, a little more fun maybe, but Coinbase, I think has probably been better for the long term, especially as it has expanded and there's so many cryptocurrencies out there. And it, so it's not kind of tied to the Bitcoin nomenclature. Mm, right. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, after, I guess, after a few years, they had amassed close to 200,000 users and they started encountering two big problems at this point. So there was fraud and then there was the working capital issue. So the fraud part early on with Bitcoin, apparently a lot of like stolen credit cards, people would log in, buy Bitcoin, then move it around. They would basically get it out. And then Coinbase would be on the hook for the cash that was sent out or spent or whatever. Um, and so this became a huge problem for them, obviously, and it's kind of hard for them to tell. Um, and so they, this was a big point of focus. They spent a lot of time trying to create, put in, uh, I guess, hurdles to, to limit fraud. And so they haven't really had any security problems since then that I'm, that I'm aware of, no security breaches. So they've kind of been a good trusted brand in crypto because of that. Um, and then the working capital part, they had to pay in Bitcoin to the users when they bought, but then they had to sometimes wait five to six days before the cash actually was like transferred because they had to go through like traditional banking processes. If it was over the weekend uh, or like a holiday, you sometimes had to wait like a really long time. And so this became a huge problem for them, obviously, because Bitcoin was very volatile and they can kind of be on the hook for that. Um, and they were able uh, two things, I guess, helped them. They were able to get insurance on it. And then uh, secondly, they were able to raise their series A, which kind of gave them enough cash to not be so worried about that. Um, and then I would also say that go listen to the, how I built this with Brian Armstrong. He, he really details all this pretty thoroughly. And it's kind of fun to hear from his perspective. Uh, but since then, they've obviously added tons of different cryptocurrencies, tons of different features, and they went public in April of 2021. So we're lapping i want to say nine months now yep um, yep basically yeah they're they're not a new ipo anymore um they're kind of hitting like no standard 10K, though. no, no 10K. 10k yet yeah they uh they went right after that period of when you'd want to file one um i'll hit industry and competition pretty simple if you're looking at coinbase what matters is the size of the crypto market cap and how much people are transacting. And I'm sure we'll talk about that maybe in the earnings too. But the crypto market cap, it hit around $3 trillion at some point in 2021. Now, it changes a lot every day. I mean, sometimes 10% a day, 
um, usually less, but it changes a lot each day. And I guess Coinbase is kind of part of the reason for it because people are buying and selling. So you really want the industry to be bigger. And you also want for Coinbase's perspective for people to be transacting as much as possible because that's where they earn their fees. Now with the uh, services and subscriptions or basically non-transaction part of their revenue, there's a bit of a different industry with that. And I would look at say the DeFi stuff, um, which I don't know much about, I kind of, you know, but it's growing really quickly. There's uh, infrastructure stuff for Coinbase that they provide. Those are separate industries. But really, right now, I would look at the size of the crypto you know, economy, and that's kind of what you need to look at for their industry. Um, they're estimated, though, to have slightly less than 10% of total crypto assets at Coinbase. So they're one of the largest holders, probably the largest holders in aggregate. I mean, I know they're holding it for third parties, but they're the biggest, I think, at about 10% of crypto assets. So quite large competitors, quite a few of them, FTX, Crypto.com. A lot of the DeFi stuff, which always have the craziest names. I think one that's coming to mind is what, like Sushi Swap, um, which you might laugh if you have no idea what this stuff is. But yeah, the, the DeFi stuff, I guess, is competitor. NFT marketplaces like what's it called? OpenSea. I guess that's a competitor, but we can talk about this later. Coinbase actually owns a lot of a stake in a lot of these companies. They own some stake in uh, OpenSea and I think maybe some of the other stuff as well. Facebook could potentially be a competitor because they're launching DM. Uh, I think they launched in one market. That could be a competitor for transacting and stuff, but with investing, not so much. Um, and then the last one I have here as a joke is the Fed. Um, they could be a competitor if they launch the standard, whatever, uh, what are they called? USD, no, what is it called? Coin. Standard bank, digital, no, no. Central bank, excuse me, digital currencies, whatever those would be called. There's the rumors of those might come out, uh, which could potentially disrupt Bitcoin. And well, I don't want to say that. Don't get mad if you're a Bitcoin guy and I just said that, but it could potentially disrupt some of the market. I know a lot of the crypto people hate central banks, so it might not actually disrupt it, but that's a potential threat coming after all the cryptocurrencies. All right, management and ownership, Ian, what do you got for us? Yep, first I'm gonna just do a quick clarifying note on the transaction fees. So what um, Coinbase says about the transaction fees are quote, fees are calculated at the time you place your order and may be determined by a combination of factors, including the selected payment method, the size of the order and market conditions such as volatility and liquidity. So for retail accounts, it's a little bit opaque about exactly what you're going to be paying in fees for uh, Coinbase Pro accounts, which are their subscription product. If you subscribe, then they have um, clearer fee, clearer guidelines about what the fee levels are at different breakdowns and things like that. But onto management and ownership. So as Ryan was talking about, Brian Armstrong is still the CEO. Um, they've got a relatively new, I think in the last uh, three years, COO and president named uh, Emily Choi. She was previously at LinkedIn. I think she was at Yelp before that. She seems to be kind of more of the operator type person to Brian's visionary um, personality. It seems like Brian's kind of more of a big thinker, big ideas, looking to push the company forward. And it, it seems like Emily has come alongside to kind of help just execute on a lot of this stuff. Uh, Brian has kind of been in some controversy at different times. Um, one of the things that came out back in 2020 was he wrote a, a blog post that he titled Coinbase is a mission focused company. And it was in response to a lot of the 
kind of political unrest that was going on at the time and uh, COVID. And he was he was starting to worry that his company was getting dragged down into some issues that weren't really part of its mission. And so he wrote this blog post that was somewhat controversial that um, we're going to be a mission focused company. We're going to focus our best way to impact the world is to um, focus on what we do really well. And everyone else can kind of pursue their political aspirations outside of the company. But while we're at work, it's it's about um, our collective mission. And that um, he says that went over well with most of the company and that some people left, but they've moved forward stronger. Um, there's been some at the time there was some backlash, but that seems to have subsided. Um, there was also a Twitter thread he wrote a couple uh, months back that kind of started with the, the phrase, some really sketchy behavior coming out of the SEC recently. And he was basically upset that they were um, with some of the ways that the SEC had interacted with Coinbase um, regarding their um, lint, basically their interest accounts um, and that they wanted to launch some products that were similar to some competitors. And um, the SEC wasn't uh, being very helpful with that. I think it does kind of, it's an interesting spot that Coinbase is in because it's kind of what um, Reed Hoffman calls like the pirates to the Navy, I think. And he talks about it with Uber that event, originally you're kind of the pirates and you're doing everything. You're out in the wild, wild west, you're um, breaking the rules, all that type of stuff. But eventually you have to transition into the Navy and that we're actually working with the government. We're working with the regulations and we're helping to set the regulations. And Coinbase seems to be in that phase where it was kind of on the cutting edge of a lot of stuff, but now it's at the top position and can be um, is looking to kind of build good regulations and be a partner with uh, the SEC and some other things. And that it really benefits Coinbase, at least as from what I can tell from what uh, Brian Armstrong thinks, that it will benefit benefit Coinbase if the SEC issues clear guidance and enforces the rules that um, then they'll be playing on a level playing field and they'll probably have a better ability than some of the other um, some of their other competitors to actually meet the guidance because of their resources. Um, just a couple more little notes on Brian Armstrong quickly is prior to Coinbase, he actually had a tutoring business um, that I think it was called Tutor Connect. And uh, it kind of made a little bit of money, funded his life, but didn't have the runaway potential that he was looking for. And as Ryan was talking about, he was really early in crypto. It's, it's hard to remember, but crypto wasn't a part of everyone's thoughts in 2010 and 2012. For as big as it is today, it was, you know, back in 2009, crypto literally didn't exist. So um, pretty, pretty crazy stuff uh, to think about how far it's come in just a relatively short amount of time. He owns about 16% of the company, which is eight, a little over $8 billion. And Andreessen Horowitz, one of the early investors, is the second largest holder with about 6.5% of the company. Um, I think we may get into this a little bit later, but he also, he received a pretty big equity grant um, in the last year or so. Uh, you'll see some headlines about that, about bringing in about $60 million in compensation. So um, definitely highly compensated, but uh, they've been doing, they've been doing a pretty incredible job so far. Yeah. One thing you can say about him is he, or can't say about him is he doesn't have skin in the game. Definitely has a lot of skin in the game with Coinbase. I think with that tweet, whoever approved him to start, started off with some sketchy behavior coming out of the SEC, that just ruined the rest of it. Like, when you see that, you're like, who is this clown? But it was actually not that bad of a thread. Like, it's just that starting point. You're like, what are you talking? What are you doing here? The other thing is he has talked about before how he kind of prides himself on uh, or Coinbase prides itself on being friendly with regulators and like trying to be sort of this bridge between uh, quote unquote new financial system and the legacy one. Uh, 
And to start the tweet with that just seemed counterproductive to being friendly with regulators. True. That's supposed to be part of their moat is that they are the one that's actually going to be legit instead of these kind of crazy offshore things that a lot of people do. But let me hit valuation. So we get going here. Market cap, $50.4 billion. Ticker is C-O-I-N. So just coin. Good choice. Nice choice there. Very, uh, very memeable, I guess, if that's your thing. Uh, Enterprise value is $47.4 billion approximately. They got a lot of weird crypto assets on their balance sheet and they got customer payable stuff. So make sure to like not include that uh, with it. But I think it was about $47.4 billion. Uh, EV to sales is eight. EV to operating income of 14.8. So margins are really, really strong. Um, and the valuation doesn't look that it looks really cheap, but you got to remember there can be some lumpiness. We're right into a huge crypto bull market right now. So operating income like Ryan will get into has soared. And that's part of the thing here. Uh, and they are very profitable. So enterprise value is something I'm going to use here. Operating cash flow is going to look inflated. Uh, so I would do something where you do operating cash flow, but then X out their change in operating assets because that can go up a ton. If people deposit, Ryan can get into that. Uh, They have around 50 million options and RSUs outstanding versus a share count of 215 million. Um, That's not good from an investor and outside investor's perspective. So I'd expect dilution. I'm sure we'll talk about that in highlights and lowlights as well. All right, Ryan, you want to hit earnings? Yeah, and I'll give... It is, as Brett alluded to, it's very lumpy. So there, some of the year-over-year numbers look a little insane, and then the quarter-over-quarter quarter also look insane. So I guess try to take a long-term view. Um, they, they had $5.9 billion in trailing 12-month revenue. That's up 600% from Q3 of last year um, or for the, the trailing period. And they are profitable, as Brett mentioned. Over the last 12 months, they've generated $3.2 billion in adjusted EBITDA. That's a 54% adjusted EBITDA margin. But they've spent $590 million on stock-based compensation over the last 12 months. So I'd back the way I'd go about it is I would take adjusted EBITDA, back out stock-based compensation as probably a useful metric. The other yeah, one, EBITDA is a good metric for them because they're not going to have too much depreciation. They did have some long-term debt on there. So there will be some okay. interest expense, but yeah. their depreciation and amortization was negligible. Um, so, and I think Ian's going to talk about the balance sheet here. So just there is some interest expense, but uh, the reason that cash flow is kind of uh, wonky is in Coinbase's working capital, they have to account for custodial funds. And over the last year, there was a huge influx of assets onto the platform. So a lot of people moved money. Maybe it was the stimmy checks. Maybe it was just the excitement of of crypto at the time. But a lot of people moved money on there. So there's this huge increase in custodial funds, which isn't actually theirs. And so that makes operating cash flow look way higher than it is. So for reference, over the last nine months, it shows $7.7 billion in operating cash flow, but $5 billion of that was an increase in custodial funds. Um, so Still generating cash, but not as high as it seems. Yeah, I would maybe just, as, as Brett said, I'd go operating cash flow minus changes in working capital um, as sort of a metric to use. And assuming that there's some sort of stabilization and there isn't this continued influx, which who knows what's going to happen, then maybe it'll get smoothed out and it'll be kind of normalized. Yeah. And, and the reason this company specifically, you, uh, I think not including the working capital is smart is because it's not predictable what their working capital would be. For example, Amazon has had a great 
uh, working capital advantage that has grown over time. So using operating cash flow seems like a better metric for how much cash they have to reinvest in their business because it, while maybe not permanent, it's very predictable what their working capital deficit will be or not deficit, however you want to talk about it. And then another one like a manufacturing company might be the opposite where you want to include it because they're always going to have that working capital headwind against them, um, if that makes sense. Sorry, Ryan, continue. Yeah, and I, I would just say either way, whether no matter how you back out the numbers, you're still getting around 40 to 50%, maybe even 55% earnings margins um, on on that revenue. So pretty, pretty impressive profitability. And then in the most recent quarter, they reported 7.4 million monthly transacting users. That's up 250% year over year, but down 16% from the second quarter. Um, and I do think they report overall registered users, but I think the most important is monthly transacting because there could be a whole bunch of idle users with empty accounts, which I imagine there is. Um, so just pay attention to the monthly, monthly transacting trading volume is also up substantially year over year, but it's down almost 30% quarter over quarter. And keep in mind the majority of their revenue, uh, 90% plus still comes from fees on transactions. So, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna ebb and flow with the amount of transacting users and just the volume that's on the platform. Yeah. And the size of the crypto market. So if stuff's worth more then that percentage will be higher. Um, all right, Ian, you want to hit balance sheet and liquidity? Yep. So Coinbase has $6.3 billion in cash on the balance sheet, and that's cash that they can use um, for operations. They've also got some other cash items that I'll mention in a second. But um, in May, they issued one and, uh, one and a quarter billion half percent 2026 convertible notes. So those, um, those notes, low interest rate, but uh, are convertible 2026 uh, date. They issued $2 billion um, 1 billion each of 2028 and 2031 notes, uh, senior notes at 3.375% and 3.625% respectively. So, you know, a reasonable interest rate, especially at the time. Um, they, and probably looks good in a rising rate environment. So they really kind of added, you know, over $3 billion in cash to their balance sheet through financing, um, debt financing in this, this past year. And I think they're probably gearing up for, really to try and solidify their spot. Um, and the balance sheet is kind of proof of that. They've also got a large line item called customer custodial funds. And this is the funds that uh, Brett and Ryan re were, were referring to. It's not cash that the company can use for operations, but they do earn interest on that cash. And so it does have a, uh, a little bit of a benefit to the company. They've got nearly $9 billion in uh, in these customer custodial funds, but it only generated about $8 million in interest income last quarter. So fairly nominal. Um, but it could become a little bit more meaningful in a rising rate environment if they started being able to, to earn a higher yield on, on that $9 billion, or if they continue to grow the custodial, the cash and custodial accounts. So it's something to keep an eye on. I don't think it's a major part of the business, but you, you will want to make sure that you're not including that cash number um, and the idea of like what they can use for acquisitions or what they can use for operations or things like that. The other thing, if I'm not mistaken, they added like $500 million in Bitcoin to their balance sheet too. Didn't they, didn't they announce that? I didn't see it on the balance sheet. Uh, yeah, it might've been not classified as like Bitcoin. I think it was there. I can't remember exactly small amount, right? Ian, something like that. I think. Five yes, they do right. have some crypto holdings on the balance sheet and I'll, I'll flip those. Maybe we'll talk about that after the break. Okay. Yep. Let's take a break and we'll get back and Ian will update us on that. 
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back. Next up, we have anecdotal evidence. But Ian, do you want to give the exact number on their crypto holdings on their balance sheet? Yep. So they've got a little over $800 million in crypto assets held. That's broken up um, into about $200 million of crypto assets that are held as investments, uh, around $200 million that are held for operating purposes, and around $440 million crypto assets that are borrowed. And so that's up, and this was of as of September 30th, 2021, um, that's up from 316 million in crypto assets in December 31st of 2020. So nine months later, uh, they've almost tripled the amount of crypto assets that they, that they hold. Yeah. And I think they said they want to accelerate that or something. Um, I don't know. Armstrong's been talking about that a bit. They've gone a bit down to the square slash block, I guess now, route where they're trying to put that as a little bit of a cash replacement on their balance sheet. I'm sure people have opinions on that because it does add a little bit more risk, but it's interesting nonetheless. Let's hit anecdotal evidence next. Ian, uh, what, have you had any interactions with Coinbase in the past? How, how has your experience been with it? Yep. I bought about, oh, not very much, very little Bitcoin. I think it was like $200 worth or something in 2017. And I had researched and tried to figure out what's a legitimate place to do this, because even in 2017, there wasn't a whole lot of information out. Um, it's not like it is today where everyone knows about crypto and stuff like that. And so I looked around and I was like, okay, where's a legitimate place that I can actually buy crypto and that I'm not worried about like getting stolen or not being able to figure out how to access it or something like that? What's an easy way to do this? And Coinbase appeared to be far and away the most legitimate and easy way to do it. And so um, that's where I first bought Bitcoin. I bought a little bit of Ethereum there a little bit later. And then uh, in 2020, I moved I moved the Ethereum and Bitcoin out of Coinbase um, into uh, BlockFi to start earning uh, some yield on it just because it Ooh, seemed like yeah. a decent opportunity. But <laughs> can you not earn yield in Coinbase? You couldn't at the time. They have been, that was actually what the, um, they added the that, they? they're in the process of adding that. I think they do have it now. That was part of what was the subject of Brian Armstrong's tweet thread um, that I mentioned oh, right. earlier. And so they have been, I think they have added it. I think from what I can tell, their rates are generally lower than the rates at other places, which is probably a good thing because it's, um, I assume it's a little bit more sustainable, but that's that's been my experience so far. Yeah, they are, the rates are high sometimes, which is interesting. Uh, Ryan, what is what's your experience with Coinbase? Uh, I, I I think I do have an account because I get emails all the time that are like, "Fund your account," and I'm pretty sure it's just like an empty idle account. But uh, I think if I were going to buy crypto, it would probably be through Coinbase for me. And I think 
probably for most people, the big thing is there's a lot of froth in the quote unquote crypto economy or, or I guess scammy stuff that goes on. And if you think there isn't scammy stuff, just go look at any one of Elon Musk's tweets and just go into the comments section and you're going to see what I'm talking about. Um, but it's uh, the one thing for me is trust and security uh, if I were going to do it. And Coinbase seems to be the place for that. Um, I guess maybe I'd use the cash app just because it's convenient and it, you know, there's another business beyond that, but yeah, probably those two are the top. Yeah. Top that yeah. I consider. Yeah. Yeah. Anecdotally for me, cash app maybe is more, well, you can only buy Bitcoin, which I guess is probably negative for some people, but it's more uh, easy to connect back to the real world, quote unquote, and get back to say like spending money with stuff where you can go back to, you know, to cash right away with Coinbase. It's a little more difficult. I know they have a debit card and stuff like that, but that might be the downside there. But for me, it seems like the most reliable. I used to use it back in the day um, when I bought some Bitcoin. I forget what year it was. Uh, it's a, it's, it's like very everyone, disappointing. Everyone has a history. With Every, yeah. Well, you know, I don't like to think about it because the amount of money I would have made uh, would be not like life changing, but it would have been quite a bit. I'm sure Ian would be in the same boat if you were in 2017 as well, which can be, uh, well, you maybe hold, hold on a little bit longer than I did. Uh, but it's a bit disappointing to think about sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'd use them. The fees are high, which was the one thing that had me down, but everything else seems so much riskier, like you guys alluded to, that I think I'd probably eat the fees. And that's kind of what people's bull thesis uh, seem to be. All right. Future growth opportunities. Ian, what are your thoughts you got an interesting one here, huh? Yeah. So I first, I want to mention the Coinbase NFT marketplace. They're planning to launch that very soon. And you can join a beta list right now. It's supposed to compete with OpenSea, which is the, the big um, NFT marketplace right now. And that's something that I think a lot of coin Coinbase investors are excited about and that Coinbase itself has been pushing a lot recently. That being said, I actually want to talk about smart contracts. I think that's smart if if coinbase could create a platform that helps people create their own smart contracts i think that just everybody no code that everybody can just create their own smart contracts through these various protocols i think that would be a really interesting use and i think coinbase is in prime position to be able to have users do that the problem is then you start getting into some weird securitization uh you know laws and regulations if if all of a sudden i was trying to do a smart contract with you guys that was based on, um, you know, the price of the price of Coinbase or something, and we were going to enter into some sort of derivative contract basically together. We could do that through smart contracts, but then it becomes, like I said, then it, it gets in this gray area about securitization. So um, there's a lot of regulation there, but I think that that's something that's interesting. And I was actually just looking at um, the Coinbase app today. I, I pull it up every once in a while because they have those. Um, those earn things where you can like learn about the cryptocurrency and earn like three dollars in it or whatever and so every once in a while i'll go through and do one of those when they when they get it and so then i'll have like all these you know three dollars of these random cryptocurrencies but one of the things that i noticed when i got on today was um there's i'm trying to see where it is now but they're on one of their tabs they had a little thing that said um, on their trade tab in the categories they had smart contracts and it's not, there's nothing there except it shows what type of assets are smart contracts, which are the protocols. And so Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, one called Polkadot. So there's a number of them that are, you know, blockchain networks that can run smart contract powered applications and protocols. 
Um, I think it's, I don't know. It just, it got my mind thinking that if you could actually just get on here and make your own smart contract, that would be pretty cool. And I don't think they're probably that close to it, but it's something um, that I think is potentially down the line. Um, I think you guys have, have a couple of the more relevant timely ones, but it is, it's a, it, the, the NFT marketplace and the smart contracts seem like a great place for them to be. Um, and it's little risk the, to them as the marketplace. Could you explain a smart contract for anyone who like doesn't understand it that, that typically isn't listening explain to it for a li- explain for someone that doesn't know anything about crypto yeah so i know we're putting it on the spot. and i'll probably butcher this a little bit but but basically the idea of a smart contract is that uh the buyer and the seller of the contract can can code some conditions and that the contract will automatically execute um, based on those conditions. So if I say, like, if I coded a contract with you that said, um, if this podcast hits a million views, you'll pay me $30. It's tied into whatever the, um, whatever the data source is for that. And once it sees that it's, um, clear, then it's coded into the money that it'll automatically give me that, or that $30 of Ethereum or Solana or Cardano or whatever it is. And so, um, the idea is it's, it's trying to create zero trust contracts that are um, unbreakable and are based completely on the data, and you don't need uh, escrow or banks or anything like that as intermediaries. But that you could do it about anything. You could do it based on the weather. You could do it based on uh, traffic patterns, sports betting, yeah, that type of stuff. So, so essentially, no take, no take backs. Just no take backs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Ryan, what do you got? Mine's Coinbase Prime. And I should also note that all three of these came out. They they launched all these in the latest quarter. So it seems like a pretty big quarter in terms of product launches. So Coinbase Prime, uh, this is basically the institutional interface for advanced trading. So for simplicity purposes, I put think interactive brokers for crypto, or maybe uh, what's another good one? Bloomberg for crypto. Um, no, Bloomberg, you don't trade. It would be like trading that. Prime. What are the prime brokers? I mean, like the banks are the prime brokers or something like that. I mean, IBKR is kind of like probably the best example. Okay. Uh, and they added in their announcement that they said in quotes, we will continue investing in the future of institutional crypto by building on these services and launching a mobile app that enables portfolio access and collaboration on the go. I just like that they're leaning into the institutional side, uh, but I have to admit, I don't have a great grasp on the competitive landscape for institutional exchanges. Yeah. When I did research on it, I think FTX is a big one for professionals and more complicated trading. So they're trying to move into FTX's territory where Coinbase is traditionally for maybe people like us who don't know, don't know anything or retailers yeah. versus FTX was more for those pro guys. So they're trying to eat into that market a bit. Okay. I like anything that diversifies the business away from purely transaction revenue on Bitcoin or crypto that that for me is where they have to head to build some some durability outside of this reliance on the crypto market. Yep. All right. I'll hit minus the Coinbase cloud. I heard it described as the AWS for crypto infrastructure. And that's a red flag whenever I hear someone call something the AWS of something because no one's actually doing that. Like it's, I don't know. It's like when someone says the Airbnb for something. Typically, that's a bit of a red flag, but it really goes under their other services revenue. Small part of their current revenue right now, but it's growing really quickly. So this is kind of like if you listen to our SoFi episode or if you know that market, 
Um, it's sort of like their Galileo product where Coinbase has APIs to help people build other crypto projects very easily. Um, I guess another easy uh, comparison is Twilio. That's the best one to do. That's easy to understand for something like that. Think of that. But with crypto stuff, they bought a company called Bison Trails, which is a crypto company for almost $500 million to help build out this. So they're really investing heavily into it. And they kind of want to enable other people to build crypto projects, not on top of Coinbase's retail app, but on top of the infrastructure they've already built. And one of the interesting things about them is they are basically like, the comparison is they are if Schwab, or excuse me, one of them, if NASDAQ and Charles Schwab were the same company. So they're so vertically integrated that they have all the whatever exchange needs, everything is basically in-house. So if you outsource that to someone, it can easily build another project on top of it, among other things that they can do as well with the scale of their company. But you know, this uh, line item went from only 0.6 million in revenue last year in Q3 to 8.6 million in this quarter. So it's growing rapidly. It seems like it has a lot of promise. Um, and that would be another way to diversify away from just, you know, 1% transaction fees on retail crypto customers. All right. Highlights and lowlights. Ian, what do you like and dislike about this business? The highlight for me is that it, the company's in a great position and it's trusted. I think that it hasn't had a breach and that people can trust that their uh, cryptocurrency is safe at Coinbase is probably the biggest competitive advantage in this industry. It's a growing industry, and I think they also have the tailwind of a lot of talent moving toward it. I think there's a lot of engineers who are interested in uh, in cryptocurrency, in blockchain, in NFTs, and by being at the cutting edge of this, I think that and being in the the kind of at the front of the pack as uh, the leading company, I think Coinbase benefits from a lot of talent moving towards cryptocurrency. A low light for me is I I don't like that fees are still making up the vast majority of the business. I think that Coinbase has to watch what happened in stock trading and how commissions went to zero and find a way to be like Schwab, where they had many value add services around trading and that trading was just one of the things they did, not the thing they did, and not be like Ameritrade that ended up getting taken out by Schwab because, or acquired by Schwab because it was uh, so dependent on uh, trading revenue. So I think Coinbase needs to be in the position of power and not the position of weakness over the next five years. Yeah, I think I agree. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'd say the good thing on commissions for the time being is that users don't really care about a 1% transaction fee when they think the coin will 10x or 100x or something like that. Whereas stocks, is a, it's just a very different mindset where it's like, all right, I'm going to try to get you know a 15% annualized return. Oh, I don't want to pay a 2% commission or whatever. Um, it just, it, it seems like the, just the, the mindset going in feels very different, but highlights for me, uh, Coinbase spends less than 10% of revenue on sales and marketing. I would not have guessed this at all uh, because I see their ads before YouTube videos and stuff all the time, but- they, Well, you're the target market, yeah. I, I suppose, yeah. Young man. They yeah. continue to grow their market, despite having less than 10% of revenue being spent on sales and marketing, they continue to grow their market share across all crypto exchanges. I think there's a huge network effect built on jealousy or maybe envy um, if you make money here. So, you know, people see like, oh, he made money on Coinbase. I'm going to go download Coinbase or people share it. Like 
it's one of the biggest, I feel like network effect areas. Well, I wouldn't call it a network effect because the, it doesn't improve the product when another person comes on. It's more of virality. Okay. The, the viral nature of the business means that they don't have to spend much for future users to onboard. Um, I, they're also extremely profitable. Um, and they, I think they could have six, you know, 70% EBITDA margins if things continue to go well. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I would love to look at crypto.com's financials because I think they would be the exact opposite, like hemorrhaging money and spending 200% of the revenue on marketing, something like that. Yeah. It, it really, it surprises me. I would have thought they were spending just more on sales and marketing to begin with, but uh, low lights for me. And I think this is a low light that comes across for all of us is right now they are completely reliant on the overall success of one Bitcoin. They are tied to Bitcoin's price. Uh, and this is something that they've been completely candid about. Um, and then cr- crypto overall. And so you have to be very comfortable with uh, that bet. And the other thing is crypto can drop 16 or f- 15% in the middle of the night, you know? So it's it's one that's not easy to sleep with. Um, and so uh, that, I guess that's just something to think about as well. Yeah. And I'd wonder what their sales and marketing spend would be in a bear market. Well, it, I mean, maybe they cut back. I don't know. 2020, I guess it didn't, wasn't that bad, but like last year it was, it stayed, it was like 5% of revenue and they had, you know, uh, but one, it, one sixth of the sales. Right. But they, they went through, if a, they wanted to winter. grow. Yeah. If they wanted to grow quickly though, they would definitely would have to spend more in marketing, but I guess, you know, they were just choosing to be more uh, conservative. Um, all right. My highlights established brand, like you guys said, locked in millions of users, great unit economics. Uh, the moves to the ancillary products definitely makes sense. If you're bullish on crypto, like that's, that's the big holdup, like Ryan was saying, but if you are bullish on this stuff, it seems like what they're doing to make it sort of the API stuff is a fantastic idea. Um, the carrying value of some of their strategic investments could be much larger than what is carried at now. So right now it is marked at $269 million. But for example, they invested in OpenSea and that just got marked up at $13 billion from another investor. Uh, I don't think OpenSea is worth that much and that's definitely bubbly, but the value of all these investments they made could be a lot larger than they actually are. I don't know what their ownership stake is in OpenSea, but it's definitely worth much more than $200 million now. Uh, low lights though, and this comes back to the investments, is they have marked up their own book a lot, which is not a big deal, but it's kind of a negative for me. Like, I don't know, are you trying to fake the profits? Like when they, like, uh, you know, they invested in bison trails and then they bought it out, marked up their own book. You know, what's often you should, it's a small low light. Oh yeah, you have to, but I'm just saying that's like, it's a way to inflate your, uh, what your profits look like. It's not a big deal. The, the other things are more real lowlights for me. I mean, the reliance on transaction fees, like you guys said, and then uh, the unproven industry, which is the elephant in the room, like Ryan mentioned. Um, let's see, I talked about the bear market, SM spend. See, the only thing I've mentioned that we haven't talked about yet is the CEO Performance Award. It really left me queasy. Like, I don't have the exact details on it, but they did it before the IPO and it had a ton of. Uh, it was worth like three, four billion, I think. And the last tranche was a $400 share price, I believe. So they basically got most of them right around the IPO time. And Brian Armstrong, who already owns 
stock worth like $10 billion, I think. Maybe it's a little less now. Uh, he was getting a billion dollars. Like, I don't, why, why did he need that? It may be very uncomfortable with him, like as a manager, I'd want to back because it kind of reminds me of the quote from, and I'm bringing up Munger and Buffett, but you know, the, the, I think it was Munger that said that if you're in a position to, to give that money, it's not always the right move to get it. Even if you can, like, if you're in those positions of power, you have a moral obligation to take lower than you could get just because you don't necessarily need it. And this type of CEO performance award, especially for a founder who already has such a large stake, always raises a red flag to me that they maybe they're they're greedy and they're thinking about themselves more than the shareholders uh, who yeah. it's affecting. That, that is, yeah, that does kind of make me sick because you're the largest shareholder. If, what could the company have done with that cash? Exactly. I mean, it's not, it's not cash, but it's like, you can sell out like it's dilution. With the value that, uh, that was rewarded to you. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It makes me sick. Like that's just, uh, I I just don't like it personally. It's not going to change the company from an investment perspective, but it's probably the biggest red flag for me outside of the crypto stuff in general. All right. I'm talking too long. Let's move to bull case. Ian, what's your bull case for uh, Coinbase? My bull case for Coinbase is that crypto is just the beginning of Coinbase. It's the first iteration and that it becomes uh, somewhat paradoxical, centralized, decentralized finance, that it is the the bastion of uh, respectability and um, and the financial institution of decentralized finance, which I think is, like I said, a little bit of a paradox, but I think that's the bull case for Coinbase. Uh, Ian, bring out the big brain today, huh? The, uh, with, with, uh, yeah, sorry, that just made me remind me that, that I mean, Ryan, what, what's yours? Uh, well, I think the bull case is, I guess, pretty obvious is that the overall success of the crypto economy continues and more money flows into it. Uh, if that happens, I assume Coinbase as the trusted brand will succeed. And <clears throat> at an EV to EBITDA multiple of like 13 times, which first of all, it's it's way more exciting to be doing these shows when these valuations look as reasonable as they do. And EV to EBITDA of 13 times, the ceiling for this is really high if the money does continue to flow into crypto. Yeah, but I would hesitate and say that's trailing. What's the forward? There's a lot of variance on that. Well, I've got my bear case too. <laughs> All right. Yeah, my bear, my bull case is uh, crypto goes whatever goes burr like like with like the meme is the that's all you need. That's, I mean, that's kind of your bet you're making. It seems like a better investment to me than going long Bitcoin because you're diversified, you get the exposure and it's a lot more profitable. Like I, right. Am I getting that? Like, am I, am I thinking about that incorrectly? Like why would you own Bitcoin over Coinbase? Own both. If you're interested. I think you, yeah, I think the reason to own Bitcoin would just be more of a uh, bet on on Bitcoin. Uh, what's the word? More concentration, right? That you don't want the diversification of all the the other coins that Bitcoin or that Coinbase is dependent on, and you can just okay. that Bitcoin is going to be the one true winner Actually, in the cryptocurrency space. And I kind of prefer that because that's what Dorsey's basically done. Is he's taken this like purist approach where it's like there's there can only be one, the one true yeah, the one true coin, one coin to rule them all. I don't know. All right, bear yeah. case. Ian, what's your bear case? 
the bear case for me is that crypto ca- crashes while Coinbase is still largely dependent on fee revenue, that they're not able to build out enough of these ancillary services and, and spread their wing or spread their tentacles into other parts of the decentralized finance um, world. And so that if crypto crashes and you lose a lot of that inflow of funds and transaction fees fall apart or fall off the cliff, that, um, that it's very damaging to Coinbase. Yep. And just remember that it's a percentage of transactions. So if the crypto market cra- cap crashes 80%, that crushes their business. All right, Ryan, what's your bear case? Uh, the bear case is that we hit a peak in the crypto economy last year. Um, and I know crypto believers probably just rolled their eyes, but let's look at what happened last quarter. It was you know, a falter in the crypto space and Bitcoin in general is detrimental to Coinbase's business. There's no getting around the fact that the two are tied at the hip. So being as reliant as they are on transaction volume, a big decline, uh, that that's the bear case for them. And yeah. as Ian said, if that happens before they, they are able to diversify their business, then they're really screwed. Yeah. And is it a catch 22? Could they even diversify their business if, well, the crypto okay, goes bust. So, so here's the other thing is the Coinbase, uh, I think it was like the, I forget where I saw it, but the subscriptions revenue declined in tandem. Everyone's like, well, subscriptions revenue will give them some sort of uh, steady stream of income, but it, it declined in tandem with transaction revenue. Yeah. Not, I would be- not exactly uh, like for like, but I think it all goes bust if 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 one of them does. Yep. And that's my bear case. Crypto goes bust. Let's move to more or less interested in what are your final thoughts here? I'm slightly more interested. I think that Coinbase is going to go onto my watch list and I'm going to keep an eye on it. Like you guys have mentioned with the the trailing numbers, the valuation looks reasonable. Um, obviously we have to take that with a large grain of salt about what's, what's going to happen in the future. It's not something I'm going out and investing in right now, but it's a uh, definitely something that's going on the watch list. All right, Ian or oh, Ryan, sorry. Uh, more interest. Yeah. More interested because the risk reward feels good here. You could lose all your money potentially as with any investment. Risk but, reward is good, but you could lose all your money. That's a, that's an interesting <laughs> but, but the ceiling, I mean, the ceiling is really, really high. That's true. Yep. So in that sense, uh, I guess I like the risk reward. There is obviously the reliance on factors outside their control, but I think if I were going to make, a bet on the crypto space, this is probably how I'd do it. Yeah. I'm less interested because I just think cryptos. Oh, the big worry for me is like the tether stuff. If you're bullish on crypto, if you're into this type of stuff, I would go listen to our interview we did with Bennett Tomlin on tether to get the bear case of the side of what things could go wrong there. And that's kind of the big concern for me. I'm less interested, but I'm going to caveat this with saying, if you're bullish on the crypto economy, whatever that is, I don't understand why you're not, you wouldn't own Coinbase. That seems like the logical investment to make. It seems like way safer than betting on one coin. Um, this seems like the, like if you think crypto is going to be big and take over the world, I do not know how you not, uh, how are you not long Coinbase? Like it seems so simple. Um, but I'll leave it with that. I'm less and interested. And it hedges your bets. And you don't have to just buy, yeah, you don't have to buy one. And I don't know, like, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, why why would you own? I, I don't know how you own other stuff except except Coinbase. Like, yeah, I want to pick. There, there's no way I'd, especially being 
so naive to the space in general. There's no way I'd pick one coin and just kind of go for it. I, this is a way to really diversify across all of them if you believe in the industry. Yeah, and that's the thing. I don't believe in the industry, so I'm less interested. And I would just, right. I would just throw one more thing out there real quick that I think some of these, and I think this will be an interesting thing and it's a discussion for another day, but as you're looking at this crypto economy and decentralized finance, I think it's important to see that there's sort of some new types of things developing. And so it's not like we've got the companies and we've got the assets, but there's also like the protocols that these are on and the, and the, and I don't even know if that's quite the right word, but the, basically the blockchain of Bitcoin is actually like something different um, in a sense than just like the asset Bitcoin. And the, the same thing with Ethereum or Solana or Cardano, that they have these assets that are tied to them. And like Ethereum isn't its own company, but it's also not just the coin. There's this, um, there's this piece behind it. So it's a, it's it's an interesting ecosystem, and it's it's one of those things that does kind of go into my too hard pile at times because it's just so it is a little bit hard to figure out how all these factors play together. But I think that's just to give one case for my why someone might um, invest in individual coins. Um, I think that that is that's the case. Is that there's actually some of these coins that have better better rules, better communities, better potential projects that are built on top of them, all of those types of things. And so even though they're not themselves companies, there are ways to evaluate um, the coins are different from each other in a way that's different than just they have different names and different people like them for no apparent reason. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. I'm going to say, yeah, I don't understand the exact specifics like you were saying. Uh, but I think that, okay, that does make sense. Maybe there's a reason not to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to deal in absolutes there, but stock for next week. Was this your choice, Ryan? I don't know. Coinbase. I think Coinbase was your choice. Coinbase was mine. So Ian's turn. Ian, do you have one for next week? We put you on the spot here. Yeah. For next week, let's do, um, let's take a look. This is, this might be a little bit boring, but let's take a look at Apple. I think Apple's okay. been in the news a lot, just hit a $3 trillion market cap. I think there's a lot of debate right now about, is Apple at its peak valuation. And I think that would be kind of a fun show to do. Like yeah, that, that no, that's actually fun. People just forget about it. Like they got wearables, Ryan got a, Ryan got a watch, uh, AirPods, and then the, what, the the car, AR, App Store stuff, plenty to talk yeah, about. Yeah, services. Yeah. yeah, that's a sneaky good one. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. We're talking about something new ooh, now. Ooh, ooh. Oh, Ryan, you have something. Yeah, before uh, before we do our disclosure, if you listen on Spotify. Oh, uh, I was going to say that, but uh, go, ahead. go ahead. All right, feel free to drop a rating. It, it helps. I think it's a lot, getting more people kind of interested in the show. So if you like us or if you hate us, like feel free to just, you know, just leave a rating for us. Easiest thing to do to support the show is to give us a rating on it's Spotify. It's right below our logo on our uh, Spotify page. It takes literally three seconds. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.